This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations who are focused on making disciples, and our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. You're about to listen to a podcast episode from an organization called Discipleship for Women, which is led by Joanne Kraft. And this is one part of a four-episode series, and you should know about a related resource to all these, which you can download for free. It's a sample of a book called Dedicated, Training Your Children to Trust and Follow Jesus. This resource helps mothers and fathers disciple their kids at home, and it's available for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Today's episode is called Discipling Meat Eaters, featuring Tessie Cannon. Take a listen. Welcome to Discipling Meat Eaters. My name is T.C. Cannon, and I just want to say thank you to my friend Joanne. She is really incredible, and her ministry, Discipleship for Women, is, is a great resource. Um, I also, although she's really talking over here and I'm distracted. <laughs> no, I do. No, I'm kidding. Okay. So I, I would also like to start by asking all of you just a few questions. The first question is really just for my own entertainment. I'm kind of keeping a, uh, an informal tally, um, a little survey for my own information. And that question is, how many of you have ever met another person in your life named TC, spelled T-E-A-S-I, other than me? Okay, I'm not shocked because I've never met another person in my life who has met a TC. Um, I've only met one, in fact, and that was accidentally online. And, in fact, it's such a unique name, people usually ask me, where did I get it? And the answer is, I got it from a 19-year-old hippie. Um, my mom was desperate for me to have a unique name, and so she made it up. And she succeeded in making it unique because my childhood was torturous, the teasing was merciless, um, and also I could never find any personalized items like keychains or lunch boxes. I would spin that little kiosk around a million times just hoping TC would magically appear. This is back in the olden days for all of you younger folk. Um, so nowadays, I'm, I've gotten over it. I've, I appreciate having a unique name, and I can order anything I want with my name on it. And after years of counseling, all the childhood wounds have been dealt with. Okay, second question. Raise your hand if you've ever been to a conference in which you were given a paper plate for note-taking and as a resource page. You have? You've, oh, you haven't. Okay, Look. No hands again. So what I want you to be aware of is even if you left right now, you could genuinely tell your friends that this breakout was a unique experience. (laughs) There you go. Okay, third question. How many of you had breakfast this morning that contained protein? What is protein? Okay, good. Okay, good. So those of you who didn't raise your hands, I guess your mom never taught you that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And maybe you don't realize 
that protein is so essential for your body, that it is the, the ingredient that builds muscle and repairs broken tissue. It's actually responsible for hormone production and um, all kinds of stuff in your body, building cartilage and all of that. Maybe you didn't realize that. In fact, without protein, a body is very frail and susceptible to disease and even death, which leads me to two conclusions. Number one, protein is essential for life. And number two, and this one is the thesis for my talk this morning. Here we go. Here's my thesis. You waited so long for this. The body of Christ needs protein. All right, so this is a deeply theological statement, I know. You're probably feeling quite intimidated right now. Um, But don't worry, I'm going to unpack this for us while we uh, are together today. Um, But I do, I believe that the body of Christ, even though that is an analogy uh, for the universal church, I do believe the body of Christ needs protein in order to stay strong and in order to be able to repair itself and to stand strong. But I don't want you to take my word for it this morning. I want us to look at what God has to say about this. And so if you have your Bible or an app on your phone, we're going to be in Hebrews this morning. Um, And while you're you're looking for it, I'm going to give just a little bit of background information. Um, It's important for us to know the genre of the book of the Bible that we're we're reading. Um, You learned about genres in middle school, language arts, or English. And um, I I used to teach middle school, and I I spent a lot of time trying to teach my students the difference between reading poetry versus um, a a biography or an encyclopedia entry, and so that they could put on the appropriate interpretive lenses. And so when we're looking at Hebrews in the Bible, what we want to know before we even dig in is what type of literature is this. And it is actually kind of a cross between a sermon and a letter. So what we're looking at is a sermonic letter. (laughs) That's what we're going to be looking at. And I want to encourage you in your own time to read the entire sermonic letter. I'm not going to keep saying sermonic letter, by the way, um, in case that was weird. (laughs) Maybe I'm the only one annoyed by that. But um, you just need to read the whole thing from the beginning to the end in one sitting because that is the way it was originally delivered. And we don't get the fullness out of it unless we read it in its original way as it was delivered. And it is a beautiful letter. It is so powerful. In fact, I've read it about seven times in preparation for being here. I read it again this morning, and every time it's just amazing. Um, We don't really know who the author is of the letter. Scholars have disagreed on this for years. Some of the candidates are Paul, um, Luke, Clement of Rome, Apollos, Barnabas, but we don't really know who the author is. But we do know a lot about the author from the contents of the letter. We know that this author was very educated, well-spoken, and knew a lot about Scripture. We know the author loved the recipients of the letter. We know that this author had a passion to see these recipients stand firm in their faith and to continue to hold their trust in the one perfect person who was also priest, king, and Messiah. We can see that this person who wrote this letter loves his disciples This is a disciple maker writing this letter. We also don't know specifically who the audience was, but we can tell from the contents of the letter again that the recipients, the original recipients, were believers. This is a community of believing Jews or some Gentiles who had been converted, which they called God-fearers or proselytes at that time. They, They knew their spiritual heritage. They understood the Old Testament very well. Um, And we can see that they um, were 
at one point, a, a strong community of believers. The rationale for this letter, we can also glean from reading it. We can see why it was written. We can see that this is a community of believers that is experiencing an increasing amount of spiritual lethargy. They are experiencing social pressure that is causing them discouragement. They aren't meeting together as much as they should. And they're losing their jobs over it. They're, they're, they're not being martyred yet, but they're experiencing discomfort for their faith. Because when you were a Christ follower in those days, you were totally counterculture, which we're supposed to still be, by the way. Um, and they were, they were kind of feeling the pressure of that. They wanted to just, a lot of them, it was easier to just go with the flow. It was hard to fight the good fight. And they were just kind of wanting to go back to the law. It was just simpler for them to go with the flow of the culture. And they were at risk of losing their faith because of all of these factors. And the author of the letter is so, in, so concerned about these disciples of his. He doesn't want to see them walk away because what will they get? Death. Nothing. No hope. No rest. No truth. And he's also frustrated with them. There's a level of frustration here because this author believes his disciples should have been further along in their walk by now. But he's seeing that they're actually kind of going backwards. And we can see this frustration in our key verse for today, which is Hebrews 5, and we're getting a few verses, 11 through 14. I'm going to read it first in the ESV translation. It says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil." And I want to look at the King James Version, which I'm not going to read in its entirety because it's quite difficult to actually read it out loud. Try it at home sometime. Um, I just couldn't, I kept tripping over my words. But I do want to point out that in this translation, the translators chose to interpret or translate that Greek word for solid food as strong meat. And that is where the title of this breakout comes from for those of you who are worried this might be a nutrition class. (laughs) That's where the strong meat, the meat eaters, comes from that. So when I read these verses, there's a few questions that come to mind. Number one, what is it that the author's wanting to talk about, but he can't because they're so dull of hearing? What is that? Number two, what are the basic principles these disciples are stuck on? And number three, what is the solid food that he wishes that he could be sharing with them? So we can actually find all the answers to those questions in this letter, this sermonic letter. (laughs) Um, So number one, where are we going to find the answers to that? What is it he wants to? It says, about this we have much to say. About what? Well, we can find it in the verses in the chapters prior. And because I'm not going to read all of that with you this morning, again, go back on your own time. I'm going to take a snapshot of of what he was talking about before this. So Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read this for you. And I just love this. Just listen to this. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And it goes on. What he's wanting to talk to them about is the supremacy of Christ over everything, over angels, over Moses, over the law. And he's saying, I just want to say so much more about this. But you're stuck on the basic principles, which leads us to number two. What are they? What are the basic principles they're just stuck on? And you can find these in the verses following our key scriptures. And so this would be chapter six, verses one and two. And I'll read that to you. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings or baptism, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Okay, first of all, that's pretty important stuff. And what he's not saying is that these, he's not saying these are insignificant. He's saying they're insufficient. It's like our Christianity 101. This is like our beginner class. The author is just saying, hey, we can't just say the sinner's prayer and get baptized and just stay doing that over and over and over. That's basically what he's saying. He's saying he knows they're going to need so much more. We know they need more. We need more. (laughs) We need to move on beyond just knowing we're saved from hell. We need to move on from from being baptized, don't we? We know it's not enough. It's not sufficient. It's very significant, of course. And then number three, that last question, what is the meat that he wishes he could be sharing? Well, what's amazing is we can find that when we read the rest of Hebrews because, like it or not, this author is going there. He's like, look, you guys are still on the milk, but you know what? I'm giving you the steak. Eat it. (laughs) I love that. He presses on. You know why? Because he knows that this is what his disciples need. He sees the pressure. He sees the culture. He knows what they're going through. What is he doing throughout the rest of this letter? Here's some examples. He's stringing the Old and the New Testament together to show these disciples an overall consistent, beautiful story of God's plan of redemption so that they understand the big picture. He's digging into the divine and human nature of Christ because during those days, heresies were blooming that were taking apart one or the other of those, and we've got to have both for the salvific work of the cross to actually be applicable to us. He's digging into a biblical worldview. He's explaining how to answer life's biggest questions. He, he's talking about the atoning work of Christ. He talks about redemption and the inheritance that that affords his disciples, all of us. He gives a lesson on church history by going through the hall of faith. He gives them the evidence. He reminds them that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, that faith is the evidence of what we believe. Sometimes we get that verse wrong and think "Faith faith is things that are unseen. But really that sentence structure says that faith is evidence. Faith is assurance. So he's bolstering their faith by giving them facts. He's also going in and telling them, this is one of my favorite parts, is that whatever is being shaken around you, 
that we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is the meat that he is wanting to dig into. Do you think that this is what our disciples would need today? Can you think about anybody in your life that's experiencing so much cultural pressure that they are so discouraged? Can you think of anybody in your life that's tempted to just join the culture? It's just so much easier to go with the flow. Can you think of anybody who used to be a strong believer but is getting so caught up in confusing doctrines that they're hearing around them um, that they are moving away, the needle is moving in the opposite direction of Jesus? Maybe it's even you. I know I've been on this list. I've been discouraged. Sometimes I think, man, I I wasn't always saved. I got saved or really devoted my life to Christ around 21, and I was a crazy party girl before that. And there are times that I'm like, look, you know, it might be so much easier just to go on back to that. But then I know I've got the meat. You know, I can't go back. Um, I feel like we are just like the recipients of the letter to the Hebrews. We have so much in common with them. Um, We are not facing maybe the exact same challenges, but we have a lot of challenges to our faith today. Wouldn't you agree? Can you all just shout out an idea? What is one of the threats to Christian faith that you're seeing in your circles today? Social media. Social media, exactly. Um, But it can also be used for good. In fact, I sometimes think it's the Roman roads of our time. Um, so, but, but you're right. It is the avenue through which we are targeted every single day, let alone just looking at Sally who gets to go on vacation every month, you know. <laughs> Why her, Lord, you know. Um, anyway, what else? What are specific things? I'm sorry? Relativism. Absolutely. Oh, that's true for you and not for me. Yeah, that's not my truth. Well, great, let's go to the bank because your money is now mine. That's my truth. Um, okay, anyone else? Materialism. Problems with marriage, personal problems. Marriage, busyness, drugs, addiction. Tolerance. The, the, actually, it's like the, the redefinition of tolerance. Because tolerance used to mean agreeing to disagree and loving each other anyway. And now suddenly it means you've got to take it my right, it's my way or the highway. Tolerance has changed definitions. Um, great answers. But I also want to say that I, from the statistics I'm reading and from what I'm seeing on social media, I can make this statement that I feel like in our day, the greatest threats to our faith are not coming from without the camp. It's not coming from the atheists and the agnostics. The greatest threats to our faith today are coming from within the church. I've got some examples for you. Imagine being on social media or imagine a young teenager or a young disciple, a brand new believer, going on social media and finding something like this. This is all public, by the way. Everything I'm going to post, these were on their public platforms. This is Joshua Harris. He was a well-known, popular Christian author of the once-beloved book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, now controversial, recently in his Instagram, announced that he and his wife were divorcing, and then he had this to say, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. 
By all the measurements that I have, that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. This was, I mean, I know people that actually lived his book and didn't kiss till they were at the altar and, I mean, lived this in such a, even a legalistic way. And maybe there were great principles in there, which I'm sure there were, but can you imagine the disillusionment? Or how about this? Marty Sampson. This was also recently in social media. This is a singer-songwriter with Hillsong Music. He posted, Time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world. It's crazy. This is a soapbox moment, so here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send four billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. Imagine a young believer reading this or someone who loves Hillsong music. You, me. How about this? Lisa Gunger, anyone love that song? You make beautiful things. I'm not a singer, sorry for that moment, but um, that's their song, Gunger. So her husband decided to become an atheist for a while. His faith has now morphed into some form of a hodgepodge, a quilt of worldviews. But she had this to say, I lost my mind, she said. Like, what does that mean, Christianity? I went on a finely worded rant all in my head and with Michael. I was like, this is garbage. This whole idea is garbage. I don't believe any of this. I'm an atheist. You can look at our life and the way that we're living, and if you think that's against the way of Jesus and love, okay, that's your perspective. My perspective is I'm trying to live in the way of love and the way of Jesus the best I know how. I don't know if I've got it all right, but I love the way of Jesus. I don't have a definition for that. Okay. Well, great. Uh, these are all called deconstruction stories. There's an actual word for it. You can Google it, de- deconstruction stories. This is a definition I found from an author named John Williamson with the Christian Post. Deconstruction is a careful and deliberate examination of one's belief from the inside. It's about coming to terms with what you believe outside of your inherited beliefs, which doesn't really sound bad. Because we all want to have an authentic faith. We should be taking apart the pieces. We should look at all the Legos, all the puzzle pieces, and make sure we understand why and how they fit together. But the problem is that with milk drinkers, they often don't know how to reconstruct it. They take all these pieces apart, and they analyze it, and they're listening to all these skeptical claims. And once they tear it all apart, they don't, they don't know what to do with it, and they don't have the box top. So they either throw the puzzle away or they try to put together something that feels good to them, their own definition. Many of those who deconstruct, here are the three main things that I've noticed. Number one, they never really understood what a biblical worldview actually is. It is so important, especially for our youth, to understand that a biblical worldview does not simply mean doing Christian things and saying Christian things. A biblical worldview means that we answer life's most difficult questions by the Bible. That means, why are we here? What's the purpose of my life? Why all this evil? What the heck? Where are we going when we die? What, it is the way, it is literally the way we view all reality. Anything that comes my way, I make sense of it because I have a biblical worldview. And, and they don't all, they don't really understand that concept. 
So it's easy to to deconstruct their faith. Number two, they never had a safe place to doubt. They had doubts. They had questions. They were intellectual doubts. They were emotional doubts. And a lot of times when our teens or when people come to us with their doubts, what do we do in the church? We rebuke it in the name of Jesus and tell them they're not truly saved. Or we shame them. Or we, you know why we normally do that? Because we don't have the answer and it makes us really uncomfortable. And so rather than deal with that, we just want to say, you know what? True Christians don't have a single doubt. And that is not true. We even have biblical examples of Thomas. We have John the Baptist himself who doubted that Jesus was the Savior and had to have proof again. These people that deconstruct need a safe place to doubt. And then the third one is that they never had a solid understanding of the essential doctrines of our faith. What do I mean by that? Essential doctrines means the most important teachings. The word doctrine, people sometimes recoil from that, but all it means is teachings. It's important that we all understand the essential, meaning that if you take it away, you no longer have Christianity anymore. We need to understand that. These people never understood. In fact, I'm going to admit, I was a Christian for years and wouldn't have been able to articulate the, the essential doctrines. Other than I'm saved, Jesus saved me. These are great, like I said, sufficient I mean, important, but not enough. And I bet you if you went and did an informal survey at your church and just asked people, hey, can you list five of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith? You will get a bunch of blank stares, especially if you talk to the high school kids. What's essential doctrines? What are you talking about? (laughs) This is what defines us. These are the key ingredients, you know, on the wrapper. You know, if my rapper says Christ follower, then the ingredients are going to be the essential doctrines, and I didn't even know them for many, many years. Um, I might have had some type of a knowledge of it, but I wouldn't know why they're important, how they fit together, so that when someone would teach me something that was opposing an essential, I wouldn't have known. And these people that are deconstructing, a lot of times, um, my husband said it's funny, like especially the youth, they have a drug problem. They were drugged to church, <laughs> but they never were really discipled into knowing what they actually believe. They are falling away from the faith because they're easily talked out because they were never fully talked in. So in, in addition to the deconstruction stories, we have this fun. We have powerful leaders in the church. These are all public posts, by the way. Everything out on the news. This is Bill Hybels, the former uh, leader of the megachurch Willow Creek um, in Chicago. He's written several books on Christian living, uh, leadership, and was recently in the headlines for having um, multiple women say that he was inappropriate with them, abuse of power, bullying, and the Washington Post headline, misconduct allegations against Willow Creek founder Bill Hybels are credible. Independent report finds. Then we've got another mega church leader, James McDonald. He was the pastor of Harvest Bible Church, had moody radio shows, influential in many people's lives, written several books, do hard things, act like men. Um, and he's in the Christian, he's in several headlines, but recently this one, James McDonald fights over being fired, the assets of Harvest Bible Church amid murder for hire allegations. This is the Christian Post. And Mark Driscoll, this was a while ago, but he's the former pastor of Seattle megachurch, Mars Hill, forced to resign in 2014 following accusations of bullying, plagiarism, misuse of church funds. And this is the headline, Lawsuit 
Con- controversial pastor ran Mars Hill megachurch like a crime syndicate, the Daily Beast. Okay, this isn't fun to look at. And also, we just had a recent one that you might have heard I, with John Christ, our beloved comedian, who just was um, exposed for abusing drugs or alcohol and mis- appropriate con- inappropriate conduct with women. And here's the deal. It's not fun to look at. I'm not, this is all public. What I feel when I see these stories, I feel like the rug is being pulled out from under me. I just feel like I can't breathe. I mean, these are our leaders. These are our beloved. These are the ones we love. And I wonder, gosh, if these leaders can't stand firm and if they're abusing people and if they're so hypocritical, what can we believe when it's so devastating like that? We must not follow platforms. We need to follow the one perfect person whose name is Jesus. And this is when we need the meat because people are going to fail us. I didn't become a Christian because of someone's platform or even because of a church. I became a Christian because of what Jesus did for me, that he scooped up an ugly, dirty, filthy 21-year-old girl that had betrayed her friends and no one wanted a thing to do with me, and he loved me there. That's why I'm a Christ follower. It doesn't. So we've got to want to encourage our disciples. This scripture is awesome here. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our kingdom can't be shaken, friends. No matter what's being shaken all around us, no matter who's losing their faith around us, um, We add to those things some of the confusing biblical movements that are happening in the church, progressive Christianity, the mystical miracle movement that is more like a new age spiritualism that's kind of infiltrating, Um, trying to take us out, trying to take our, our disciples out. Wave after wave is coming, but you know what? It's possible for us to stand with Charles Spurgeon. This is one of my favorite quotes. In fact, it's a life quote for me. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of myself or the rock of ages. Kiss that wave. We can do it, and we can obey Jesus when he says in Matthew 7, 24 and 25, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. It is possible for us to have a faith that endures. It's impossible for us to to have that be contagious to the people that we're pouring into in our lives. But what kind of meat do we need to be eating, and what kind of meat do we need to be serving? Well, I can give you an example of what I don't think is going to be good meat. Hey, guys. Welcome to Bible study. Okay, first we're going to do high, low, high, low, high, high, low, low, high, and then what to eat for lunch. Okay, who wants to open us up in prayer? Any nines want to get out of their comfort zone and go ahead and do that? We'll be seeing ones, threes, and eights right now. I would even take a four. Okay, okay, you've got a three week, but that's okay. Okay, now let's do an icebreaker. Y'all want to do do die date? Let's do it. Did everyone read the passage that they were supposed to read last week? I know. It was super convicting, right? Did everyone bring it? Everyone? Okay, good. Go wash your face. You can't love other people until you love yourself. I mean, that's just like Bible. Hang on, where is where is my Bible? Totally, totally forgot it. It's just that the term holiness is like super suffocating. I prefer like messy. Yeah, like super messy. Uh, we don't use we don't use the word sin. 
through. So I've already processed this with Lauren and Katie and Melissa and Paige and Jessica and Megan and Morgan, but I just feel like I need to get it out one more time. I just want to like lean in to this. I feel like I just feel like I don't know, but I just personally, I just, I just feel yeah, right, intentional, right, right, do life legalistic, yeah. I am not even going to speak that. Not going to. God gave me a word for you. No, you don't. You don't need to open up your Bible. This is me and you. I honestly think that one pieces are like less modest than bikinis. I don't know. Like, am I am I wrong? You think? So I know we're supposed to like share the gospel, but I mean, I'm an INFP. That's just this is impossible. You know, it's not expected. I can be. No, it's just that you are such a Pisces. I mean. Okay, so I don't mean this as gossip because, like, I would totally say it to her face, but, like, I can't believe she's dating him, right? Like, I, I'm just concerned about her heart. That's it. Okay, so do we want to meet next week or do we just need to really rest? Okay, okay, I'll see you guys in a couple months. <laughs> okay. When I first saw that video, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Um, because I've been in a study similar to that. Has anyone been in something like that? Um, you know, maybe not that extreme. That was pretty much every bad example all rolled into one. Bless her heart. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if I could even call that milk. I think that might be like carnation instant something. Not even fortified with any vitamins. I don't. That might take you into malnutrition rather than even helping you at all. So, but seriously, so that isn't something we want to focus on. You know, obviously that's not the, the meat we want to serve. What is the meat? I think we can just look at Hebrews and, and follow the example there. That is the meat that we want to eat. That is the meat we want to be serving. What does it look like for us? How about we study the nature of God? Do a study on the nature, the attributes of God so that we remember all those beautiful attributes and his big story. We need to understand the big, the big redemptive plan. And one thing that I'm a huge proponent of, and this is kind of a big word, hermeneutics, but all it means is, like I was talking about, is having the right interpretive lens, just like you learned in seventh grade English. You didn't know you were learning hermeneutics, but that's what you were learning, is how to interpret different types of text. It's the study of interpreting. And believe it or not, the Bible, God chose to reveal himself to us in a variety of genres. There's poetry in there. There's history in there. There's letters. There's different genres than we are even used to today. And each one of them requires different interpretive lenses. And, but, but we can take them at face value. We just need to know, oh, I'm reading a poem right now. This is going to contain a lot of figurative language. I'm reading this right now. It's just, so I encourage learning how to read the Bible. I didn't know. How many of you have done flip and point? You don't have to raise your hand. And then that's your life verse. It's on the fridge, and you're telling everybody. You don't even read the context of that. Okay, we got to get beyond that. Okay, how about we study some of the essential doctrines? How about we go through them? And systematic theology, these are big words that just mean let's know what we believe and why and what does the entire Bible have to say about it because we want Scripture to be to interpret scripture. We want to be able to know that big story. Study apologetics. This is also one of my favorite, favorite things to study. This is what apologetics means. It's not apologizing for being a Christian. It means having a defense for the hope that lies within you. First Peter 3.15 is that 
We need to have a hope, be ready with an answer. And that means building a case for Christ. It's not just tearing down other people's beliefs, but what do we have from science, philosophy, logic? And it is a robust case. We have a they call it an embarrassment of riches when it comes to evidence for the, the Christian biblical worldview. Study church history. It is so rich. Find, you know, look at from the early, the second century is really fascinating. Look at those early believers and read on what happened to those apostolic fathers, that generation that was discipled by the apostles. It's so exciting to read about them. Learn more about your identity in Christ, your eternal home. Um, together. So Jesus knew that we were going to need this type of meat. He said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength is another version. But, but, and there's many different ways to define heart, soul, and mind in the Bible. But I, I love that he delineated this and added mind because Jesus added the word mind. In, the, in Deuteronomy, when we see this the first time, it doesn't say that. But I believe this is my rudimentary Venn diagram here. But I think what Jesus is saying is that when we, com- when we love him with our, our heart and also with our head, meaning our intellect, when we love him intellectually and we love him emotionally, then we have a strong faith. Um, when we are only in our head, then we have danger of becoming a dry intellectualist, someone who is just... Um, looking at facts and figures, and, and then we are in danger of intellectual doubt. But when we are only over here in the heart and soul side, we're in danger of Christian hedonism, which is basically an emotionally driven faith, where we are our indicator of what's true is what feels good, what I feel like, like in our silly video, I feel, I just feel. I, when I started learning about this, I really got critical of myself and started noticing how many times I said that. I feel like God is saying, I feel like this means, I feel like, I mean, don't be self-conscious now every time you say feel, but I, you hear it a lot. It's okay to feel, but that can't be the basis for truth. Because a faith that is built on feelings is easily dismantled by feelings. We can't have our faith built on that. He knew that we would need a fully engaged heart and, and mind, and together having our heart and our soul and our head kind of link arms, eyes focused on Jesus, walking this walk. I've needed it in my personal life. I'll tell you, the times when my heart is the most shattered by life events and circumstances, when it has been crushed, it is what I know that has wrapped up my heart and said it's going to be okay. I remember the evidence for the existence of God. I remember the evidence from history for the resurrection. I remember that Jesus is a historical figure. I remember those factual things. It comes in and it scoops up my heart. And I can go, okay, well, I know there's a tree out there and it didn't just pop into existence from nothing. Anybody ever have to walk yourself through like that? And then when I'm reading and, you know, you start doing these deeper dives into scholarly things, you know, you can come across these controversial issues where scholars are going back and forth. And it can, you can have these tiny little mini crises of faith. And it's during those moments that my heart comes in and says, remember, this is all about a loving relationship with with a God who adores you. Remember that man who scooped you up and loved you when you were dirty, and I can calm down and go, okay, I don't understand this scholarly issue, but I can put it on the shelf right now, and I can just sit here and let Jesus love me, because that's what it's all about. Both my head and my heart have kept me hanging on during a time of life that has been 
the last five years have been pretty, pretty devastating, to be honest. And it's this meat eating that is holding me. It's meat eating that will hold you. It's meat eating that will hold our disciples. It absolutely breaks my heart to see these deconstruction stories. It absolutely breaks my heart. In fact, it is my prime passion right now because I have personal friends who were in ministry with me who, after suffering abuse of power in a church situation and after being reading a few skeptical scholars attack the veracity of the New Testament documents or whatever, they are now, my friends who used to minister with me are considering themselves atheists or agnostics. They have looked me in the eye as I've listened to their stories and they have said, I will never step foot in a church church again as long as I live. You want to know what makes me angry? Is thinking about how the enemy uses that. When I have teenagers that I taught before, I used to teach Bible, when I see them being swept away back into the culture because their faith was originally built on feelings and they really became experience junkies for those mountaintop moments at those big concerts where everybody's raising their hands together. Isn't it fun to worship Jesus when we're all in tears? It's so great. But when you go home and you realize that you can't find the divine in the daily, you don't know how to find the majesty in the mundane, My whole life is the divine and the daily and the majesty and the mundane. Anybody else? I mean, do you find that your daily Christian life is a bunch of mountaintop after mountaintop experiences? No. And it wasn't for the first believers either. It just makes me want to just start just, oh, I just, it is my passion that we would become a more robust community of of meat eaters and and then um, encourage those we love to do the same. And how do we do that? I say just a little bit at a time. If you're not already doing it, many of you probably already are. But if you find that you're, you're, you're not really adding this kind of meat to your, your morning, your day, your discipleship groups, then start adding a little bit of protein to the meal. You know, you can blend it in the blender and you don't even know, like the veggies with kids. You can add kale and they don't even know it's in their mac and cheese. Just start putting that protein in, you know, um, I'm not ever saying we should not enjoy books about emotional health or, or things that are fun to read about just learning how to be a good mom or boundaries with our relationships. Lord knows we need healthy boundaries. But one quote I just recently read, I love it. It says, visit good books but live in the Bible. And, and I, I love that because here's the deal. People can find self-help in the world. People can find entertainment in the world. And in fact, the world probably does it better than we do but they're not going to find truth in the world. That's what we have a unique hold on that we can give people. They need that meat. We can give them meat. We can give them what is true and what what is lasting. Um, But we've got to be meat eaters first. Have you ever tried to give somebody a bite of something you don't like? Here, taste this. It's pretty disgusting, but you might like it. Like, be a meat eater and love it. Oh, my gosh. Once you start really just, oh, getting in, you know, again, and I know all of not, I mean, we're probably all there, but I'm just saying for me, I even started again this year doing a chronological read through the Bible and really just, instead of digging into a topic, I just have been reading the scripture and I'm just reminded again and having read Hebrews this seven or eight times for this talk, every time I just want to push my Bible into my heart 
Have you ever wanted to just hold your Bible close and have it just absorb it by osmosis? Anyone else that weird? Is that just me? Or just eat it. Sometimes I literally am like, maybe I could just shove these pages because I'm that kid that ate cupcake wrappers. Anybody else? All right, I'll just admit that. You don't have to. Don't be afraid. I'm thinking maybe the Bible pages would be like that, you know. You've got to love it first. It's contagious when we do. And we're all on a journey. Don't grow weary in doing good. Keep on bringing it. Keep on serving it. And remember, we need grace. I cannot tell you how many times I've been digging in deeper and realize I believed something erroneous for so many years, even taught it. Like, oh, my gosh, I told all those women X, Y, Z, and that isn't even right. Um, you know what? I need the grace of God right then. And what I love about Hebrews is it reminds me that I can always boldly go there. I can boldly go to the throne of grace. I can just go say, Daddy, I'm so sorry. I'm such a goofball. And I was so proud about that teaching and dogmatic. And now I realize I was wrong. Um, Humility is the um, order of the day when we're digging in. Um, Let's also make a commitment to give God the benefit of the doubt. Can we do that? When you come across something that is confusing where you're reading some skeptical claims, where you're going to read something that says, did you know that we don't have any of the original documents of the New Testament and that there's several variants in the copies we have? It's true. But until you go find out that that doesn't really mean a hill of beans and you study some textual criticism to figure out that, yeah, we all know that, no duh, in that moment when you're having a mini panic attack, can you just give God the benefit of the doubt? Can you give the scripture the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what, I'm going to take this issue and I'm going to dig in, but in the meantime, I'm trusting God. I'm not going to go with the skeptics. I'm going to give God every last chance because you know what, there's answers out there. Every doubt I've had, I've found a sufficient answer. And we can only eat steak one bite at a time. If you only have five minutes because you've got five kids wrapped around your legs all day, even in the bathroom, then take five minutes. If you've got all day where you can watch a scholarly, you can go to seminary online, do it. One bite at a time. We all have big, some of us have big mouths like me. I can shove a big old bite of steak in right now because my kids, I'm an empty nester. Um, But before I might have only been able to take a tiny bite, but let's do what we can. And I have this really cheesy formula I created for you. Cheese, steak, (laughs) it goes together. It's a food thing. So um, this is just a suggestion on how to start becoming a meat eater. It's called the one plus one plus one plus one equals fortified. (laughs) Okay, I told you it was cheesy. Um, But in one week, have a goal to listen to one podcast that is at a level higher than what you normally would pertaining to the meat topics, apologetics or theology or even Christian philosophy or church history in that one week. Try to read a chapter of a book on one of those topics, just one chapter. You can go beyond that, but this is a simple formula. And then take one book of the Bible and read it over and over and over and over and over and let it really get in you. This is the... One plus one plus one plus one equals fortified formula. Um, I have not patented that yet, so feel free to share. Um, Okay. I just want to kind of close because I'm probably close to, well, I'm good. I'm good on time. Um, I'm going to read this because I just love, I love this. uh, I love the whole thing, obviously, but this is just a powerful way for us to kind of come to a close here. Um, Hebrews 10 35 through 39 says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. 
For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I'm going to pray for us. Gosh, beautiful Heavenly Father and precious Lord Jesus and amazing Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for your ministry to us, for your revelation of yourself. Thank you that you are not a God who is afar off, but one who has chosen to reveal himself to us not only in writing but in a person, that you love us enough to say, here I am, walk this way, that you're leading us home. Thank you that you don't leave us here alone to navigate these waves that keep coming. Thank you that you walked it first, Jesus. You're not asking us to follow where you've never gone. That we have a God who loves us, who's personal. That we don't have to earn this. That this is a free gift to us. Father, I pray that all of us in this room, we would eat more meat than we've ever eaten, that we would, we would begin to serve it more often than we ever have served it because we live in a day and age not unlike those of our ancestors in the Lord, but we need meat and we have people falling away and we don't want those we love to be amongst those who give up too soon and don't receive the prize. We want to link arms with the women in our lives and our children. We want to see them have a robust faith Father, I ask for your grace. I ask that you would comfort every woman here. I ask that as we walk out of the door, we would feel no shame, no condemnation, no legalism, but that we would feel encouraged and inspired and that we would hold our heads up high and we would not be of those who shrink back. And I thank you for this time that we get to spend together. I pray that the women are blessed throughout the rest of their time here at this awesome discipleship conference. And... Um, we just pray you'd be glorified in our lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Check out a few sample chapters from the book Dedicated, which we mentioned at the top of this show. It's for parents who want to train their children to trust and follow Jesus. Go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for the green cover and the title Dedicated. Thanks for listening. Until next time.